You smell that? Smells like fantasy football time. Yes, hello, Ion College Basketball listeners. Great to have you back here. But real quick, we know plenty of you also do the fantasy football thing. I do. Parrish does. And as you get ready for your fantasy football drafts, you have to make sure that you are listening to the Fantasy Football Today podcast on CBS Sports Podcast. Our fantasy team is recording an episode every weekday through the end of the year. Sleepers, breakouts, busts, mock drafts, other all in the air. And the podcast also has listener interaction via email and Twitter. It's the best way to win your league. Our fantasy experts are these some of the most highly rated guys in their profession. They are all terrific. So subscribe to the Fantasy Football Today podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. Hey there, it's Scary Parish. It's Wednesday, August 7, 2019. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and I suppose the biggest story the past few days is the fact that the NCAA on Monday issued a memo to agents outlining new certification requirements for them to represent players testing the waters as it relates to the NBA draft. Agents who want to do this must now, A, have a bachelor's degree, B, have NBPA certification for at least three consecutive years, C, have professional liability insurance, D, complete an in-person exam taken at the NCAA office in Indianapolis this November, and am on E, E, they must also agree to cooperate with the NCAA in investigations of rules violations. So there's obviously a lot going on here, and the NCAA is uh, mostly getting killed for this, primarily because these requirements would, at least in theory, prevent one of the biggest player agents on the planet, Rich Paul, from representing players testing the waters because Rich Paul does not have a bachelor's degree. Now, I, I think it's worth noting that Rich Paul probably isn't that interested in representing players simply testing the waters because those are typically borderline first-round picks at best, but mostly second-round picks are guys who's not going to get drafted. In the meantime, Rich Paul represents LeBron James and Anthony Davis and Draymond Green and Ben Simmons and John Wall, so he's a big-game hunter in this profession. This rule probably won't impact him much, if at all, but still, that's not really the point. The point, at least from my perspective, is that this is yet another example of the NCAA grossly miscalculating how new rules will be received and putting limits on people who don't deserve to have limits placed upon them. Like, why should the NCAA be able to tell a student athlete who can represent him? That 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 would be my fundamental question. And by the way, like I tweeted last night, if the NCAA thinks this is going to keep, quote, shady characters out of the process, they're insane because it won't. All this is going to do is push stuff back under the table, which was the problem to begin with. Now, Norlanda, I can expand, and I will. But before I go any deeper, uh, you tell me. uh, What do you think about these new requirements for player agents? Uh, It's not a Rich Paul rule. Um, Actually, (laughs) I I got almost no issue with LeBron James, period, at all with almost anything he does. But I did feel that this was another example for – since people are so angry at the NCAA, they're going to point all this at the NCAA. I thought this was weirdly LeBron taking an issue, reflecting it back on himself and his friend. You laid it out there. I mean, Rich Paul is not trying to get prospects that are flirting with the very back end of the second round of the draft or might not be drafted, period. So um, I think the fact that Rich Paul doesn't have a college degree and that was a specific new criterion was why LeBron pounced on this. And... By the way, 
you know, I bring up GP. I bring up my Twitter feed on Tuesday late afternoon or whatever, and you see the trends on the side. You see the trending topics, and I see Rich Paul rule as the number one trend. Now, I don't know if the algorithm is built so that it's like a personalized trend for your own feed and things you follow, or if that's tr- if that was really the number one trending topic on Twitter. But I thought, what in the world? Because Rothstein, Rothstein had put this out. John Rothstein had put this out first. Earlier on Tuesday, he got some information, uh, and he was the one to break the news. By the way, the NCAA has not even officially announced this, but it did you know, send word to agents and all that stuff. I do wait to see if we are going to have anything in an official capacity for the public from the NCAA. But the point is, I'm, th- I'm thinking, is this really that big of a deal? Like, yeah, it's kind of a story in, in basketball circles. And then I come to find out, oh, that's why it's trending, because LeBron James put the NCAA on blast He's no fan of them whatsoever. That's a, a storyline for down the road, by the way, with his son. If he's not good enough to go straight to the pros, LeBron James and the NCAA are going to have a, a rather interesting head-to-head in the coming years. Um, the rule is dumb on a number of fronts. Um, what? Also, I don't even know, Parrish, how much this is going to be a thing. Okay, You have more and more kids declaring annually anyway. All right, This is a rule for the fringe kids Specifically for this, I talked to two coaches last month who ran into this problem. They had a player who was debating going pro. And let's say the player was courted by five agents. Four agents said, love your talent. It'd be better if you waited one more year because I just don't know if you're going to get drafted to where you think you should be drafted or if you'll be drafted at all. But all it takes is that one agent, that one agent to say, no, 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 no. I see what you've got here. We can make something happen. Let's give this a go. So this is a rule that the coaches absolutely love because what it will do in theory is prevent their really good college player that's maybe not quite an NBA draft pick level kind of guy from being swayed by an agent who in theory is a younger guy, doesn't have at least three years of experience with the MBPA, which is another requirement, and is more desperate to get something done. You follow what I'm saying here, Parrish? It's trying to get the 25-year-old agent, the 27-year-old agent, the guy that maybe Christian Dawkins wanted to be from getting in the ear of a fairly good college player who's not a surefire NBA pick and is allegedly looking out for the kids. But to me, this is a rule designed to help the coaches just as much, if not more so, than the players. You're exactly right that when the NCAA does address this, they will – you know, while offering an explanation, say that I'm certain, say that it is designed to protect protect the student athletes. They're looking out for student athletes. But one of the points I've always made is you talk about these these people like they're eight year olds. Like, why are we? Why do we need to protect adults from making adult decisions? Like. I, I hear this from fans all the time, like when a kid is considering entering the draft and staying in it, and he's not a clear-cut first-round pick or even a second-round pick. They say, well, you know, I'm just worried this kid's going to make a bad decision. I don't want him to screw his life up. Like, you don't care if he screws his life up. You only care if he's going to play for your team next season or not. Like, you know, as I've tweeted before, like if you want to really help kids who need help, Help people who need help. Go volunteer at the Boys and Girls Club. There are a lot of people there that need help. But um, we're not really in the business of 
of saving adults from themselves. For instance, kids, like that, that's the idea here. Somebody's going to enter the NBA draft who doesn't belong in the NBA draft. Okay. What about the, the students who drop out of college to start a band? I bet you know some. What about the students who drop out of college to go pursue a movie career? You know, what about the, the, the people who drop out of college because they just want to bartend for a semester? Like, we don't worry about them. We say, well, that, you know, that's personal choice. Uh, perhaps their parents can have some influence. But we don't walk around trying to save everybody all the time. And yet here comes the NCAA again, putting further restrictions on student athletes to, like you point out, um, by extension at the very least, help college coaches. And that is just never going to go over well in the year 2019. And why they can't comprehend that. In that big building filled with thousands of people is something that never makes sense to me. Why are you doing this? It is unnecessary. We don't need to prevent student athletes from making what you perceive to be a bad decision. Like, let, let's let them figure it out on their own. They're adults by definition. And um, you're exactly right. This became a big story because of LeBron James um, and, and, and his tweets. But I, I think the reason LeBron takes offense is twofold. A, it does have something to do with Rich Paul, at least in his mind. You and I can agree this will not impact Rich Paul, but it will impact somebody trying to become the next Rich Paul. And, and secondly, sure. I think LeBron takes offense to it um, because it suggests that somebody without a bachelor's degree can't flourish in this world, that you must have done you know, four years of college to be smart enough or educated enough to 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 operate um, reasonably and and fairly in this world. And LeBron James is obviously not a college graduate. He's never been to college. And yet he's not only an amazing basketball player, but it seems to be, by all accounts, an amazing businessman, mm -hmm. an amazing husband and father and everything you would want a superstar athlete to be, at least on the surface. Like if we find out LeBron's got, you know, eight illegitimate kids someday, I don't want people to bring this back up <laughs> on the surface. He seems to be a splendid example of what a husband should be, a father should be, an athlete should be and a businessman should be. And he does it all without having a bachelor's degree. And so I think, and LeBron can obviously speak for himself, but I think probably on, on some level, he takes offense to the NCAA suggesting with new requirements that somebody without a bachelor's degree isn't smart enough, educated enough, connected enough to, to flourish because he knows that he didn't have a bachelor's degree and he's flourished in ways that um, seemed incomprehensible you know, when he was 18 years old, and also his childhood friends have flourished in, in the business world, in this specific world, without a bachelor's degree. I would imagine that's all of that combined is what sets him off. Plus, as you point out, uh, the NCAA is an easy punching bag, and this is an easy, easy place to take, you know, to take a few punches. Yeah, it is, and deservedly so here on a number of fronts. Let's, t let's touch a, tuple, a couple more of them. I'll... I'll Pick up where you left off on on the uh, the BA stuff. Yeah, having a bachelor's degree is not an indication or an accurate gauge as to whether someone is going to be ethical. And there is no parish. There is no evidence that I know of that correlates to having a, a an undergraduate degree. Uh, you know, being having someone being the quote right kind of agent that knows all the right ins, all the bad outs of a given prospect or a given draft class. So. 
Uh, I get it. Like in so many spots in in the business world, the corporate world, uh, entry level, you need to have an undergraduate degree. I understand all of that, but as it pertains to this particular business, I think it's misguided and wrongly uh, prejudicial because you can have, even though many agents, most agents have them, you can find success and be a legitimate operating agent despite not having that particular certification, Rich Paul being the most well-known example of that. But it's even beyond that. Like the image and idea of legitimate veteran MBA certified agents going to Indianapolis, like going to the third floor, sitting down in a room and taking some sort of test to pass as if they're trying to get the driver's license is a joke. Uh, it's going to be a fee on top of that. The uh, Borzello, our buddy Jeff Borzello tweeted on uh, Tuesday night. I'll quote him here. In the new NCAA agent application, agents are required to, quote, agree to cooperate with the NCAA in connection with its investigation and analysis of possible rules violations, even if the alleged violations are unrelated to their NCAA agent certification. Uh, the, uh, the idea that the NCAA thinks that it can have some sort of dominion and power over NBA player certified agents for future investigations is folly. It's another gross misstep. I get that the intentions here were probably fairly good. Don't know, by the way, which committee approved this. I'm waiting to hear back. I've reached out with people at the NCAA on that. Don't know who, who got this down, but Dan Wetzel wrote a column on Tuesday night that nailed it with this sentence. Players should be able to hire whomever they want if they are trying to figure out their future. The decision should be between the player and the agent. The NCAA should have nothing to do with it. That's exactly correct. The NCAA, Parrish, can have this rule in place. You can have – how about just blanket allowability? You can test the waters. You can officially have representation. And if you decide you want to return to school by our NCAA deadline – that's fine. We're good with it. You can even be afforded, provided you show us the receipts, the workouts, the travel provided by the agent. You can do all that. That should be the NCAA's process for the M have it be an MBA certified agent. If it's good enough for the MBA, which obviously does its business seriously and diligently, it should be good enough for the NCAA. I'll leave you with this. I don't know how much this is actually going to be a factor, though, how much this is going to impact the NCAA world, the NBA world on a yearly basis, because I just don't think you have a lot of guys that are going to be put in this situation where they don't have the right kind of representation. They want to pick this guy, but they can't. The bigger issue with a lot of this, and I've heard this from the NCAA side and the NBA side, is that by the time the players decide they want to test the waters, if you are a top 80 prospect, the way that the economy's gone, the way that the system works, the way the workouts happen – you are provided loans to do all this stuff by the agent or the agent's uh, parent company. And by the time you get through a month and a half or two months of all of this, you're, you're, you want to be as good as you possibly can be to try and get drafted, right, Parrish? It only makes sense. But you find yourself in a $20,000, $30,000, $40,000 hole to the agent or the company. And so by then, when it, when it seems like, okay, maybe I'll get drafted. If not, maybe I get a two-way. You have to pay that money back. And it's a situation where the players feel though they, they've gone too far. They have to do it anyway. So I don't even know how often we're going to run into a situation where you have players that are borderline prospects do this and still decide to double back. It deserves conversation. It deserves criticism. The NCAA should actually amend this. But practically, I actually don't think we're going to run into this problem all that often. 
you mentioned the Dan Wetzel column, and you're exactly right. It was it was perfect and on point. And you know, I, I don't know that many people, if anybody, is better at just ma- you know, um, plainly laying out why the NCAA is. Uh, misguided in far too many things and this is obviously another example of it like um, he points out in the column you know hockey players can get drafted and if they don't like where they got drafted or they don't you know whatever they could just go back to school so a hockey player can actually go through the draft process whatever that looks like for them and actually get drafted and then come back to school that's fine according to the NCAA but if a basketball player is guided through the process by an agent without a bachelor's degree, he's permanently ineligible? Like, how does that make sense? It, it makes no sense whatsoever. But what it is consistent with is the NCAA's desire to restrict basketball players and football players. In other words, assets that make you know universities – and coaches, millions and millions and millions of dollars. What this is consistent with is 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 their goal to do that, to further restrict, in whatever way they can, um, assets on college campuses. It's why, frankly, and I, I, even though we've talked about it before, I've written about it before. I still don't think the average person knows this. Um, most student athletes who transfer from one NCAA institution to another do not have to sit out a year. Most don't. Basketball players do. Football players do. Why are other athletes on campus treated differently with with fewer restrictions than football players and basketball players? The answer is obvious. Because they, you're not making a billion dollars off of most of the athletes on campus. But football players you are. Basketball players you are. And I just, frankly, I don't know why they thought they could quote-unquote, get away with this without it being another public relations nightmare. I mean, I've written the column for a decade. (laughs) Like, why don't you have somebody in the building who raises their hand and says, is this really necessary? Because, A, we probably shouldn't be doing this, but B, we're going to get killed when we do this because it's the year 2019. People are in favor of student-athletes' rights, and what we're throwing out there in the middle of August is new requirements that restrict student-athletes. It is not going to go over well. So is the public relations hit we're going to take, maybe from the king himself, is the public relations hit we're going to take worth what it is we're trying to do here? This seems like a bad idea. And yet they never do that. The recruiting calendar, and I know these decisions are made by different people, and we're not going to talk about the recruiting calendar again, but it's just enough. Like, who thinks this is a good idea? Like, how can people like me spot the bad ideas immediately and people like them never do? I, I swear to God, I don't know the answer to that question. Neither do I. And it's reached such a point where, like, you have presidential candidates speaking about this, talking about this, and well-known state senators. I live in Connecticut. Chris Murphy uh, is becoming known for two things. One, obviously, is a Connecticut senator um, and being – extremely harsh and ambitious on gun control, given what's happened uh, in this state, and now uh, taking on the NCAA and his amateurism model. And then on Wednesday morning, Andrew Yang, um, 
a presidential candidate who is not a front runner. I wouldn't say he's one of the top four or five, but he's certainly involved in there. He tweeted, instead of putting arbitrary requirements on agents, the NCAA should pay Division One athletes who generate millions in revenue for their schools. Coaches and athletic directors make millions while the kids pretend to be amateurs and scrounge for real money. And it goes to a link on why the NCAA should pay athletes, et cetera, et cetera. The point is this, this story continues to keep up its momentum. Like in the past 10 to 12 years, Paris, it feels like there's been flare-ups. You know, we might go 7, 10, 14 months without it. Now it feels more and more that the college athlete lack of entitlement or at least deserving to get paid or have a, a right to uh, the Olympic-type model, having more autonomy when it comes to being drafted, specifically in basketball. It's a continual conversation. I'm glad that we're having it. For you and me particularly, because we do a college sports podcast, it feels like we're hitting this drum a little too much. But you know what? In the greater culture, it seems relentless. And that's probably for the best, because that's the only way we'll see real change affected by it. I mean, when you are the NCAA and you're making policy changes like this, you don't even put out a public release. Word leaks out and you have presidential candidates talking about this. For all we know, I mean, I'm not saying this is likely, but we might not be that far away from this being lobbed as a question during a presidential debate over the payment of amateur athletes. Like, it has become a serious national topic. I find that fascinating how that has continued to happen. Last thing on me on this is, last thing with me on this is this. I don't know this to be a fact, but I would, I really am inclined to believe that we're in this spot with this topic, having this conversation, because a lot of coaches behind the scenes went to the NCAA and the NABC and said, listen, you know, this is, this is hurting our program. I cannot have my second, third or fourth best player who maybe is going to be an NBA player, but it might be one or two years down the road. He's getting involved in this. And I wrote about this two months ago, Parrish. You got more and more guys that aren't like studs just leaving to go pro. And there's a real concern. You can say the concern is misplaced. You can say the concern is selfish, whatever it is. I think that the coaches really were vocal about why guys who are on that cut line, near the cut line, on the wrong side of the cut line, they should have someone looking out for them. I'm more with you than with them on that. Let them have the freedom to make the decision they want to make. It can be the right one. It can be the wrong one. They have their coaches who they will still consult with this on this. They have plenty of people that will be open to them. This just feels like the NCAA suffocating when it's trying to give a hug, if you you get the horrible analogy there. And I don't know if it'll change or not, but the backlash has been as a— as aggressive on this within a 24-hour period as almost anything we've seen with the NCAA over the past two or three years. There is no question that coaches have been frustrated by more and more underclassmen entering the NBA draft annually, like the numbers are going up, not down. We've talked about it on this podcast. It used to be that if you were not a first-round pick, like there was a lot of reasons for you to come back to school. And then it was like, if you're not a second-round pick, like you got to go back to school. And now... I think the number I threw out last time, which I believe is it's roughly right. If you know, if you're a top 80 prospect in college basketball, um, odds are you're leaving school. Most of the top 80 guys are going to enter the NBA draft, and so coaches aren't just losing their first round picks anymore or their second round picks anymore. They're losing, um, you know, Jared Harper at Auburn and players like him all over the country. And obviously that's frustrating because it's it could be the difference between going to a Final Four or not, winning a national championship or not. Uh, but 
just because it's frustrating doesn't mean you need or you need the you need or you need the NCAA to put in further restrictions on these players to try to prevent it from happening. They are not obligated to come back to school. It is their decision. They are adults. And the same way you, you, you know coaches you know the same coaches who talk about, you know, we just don't want to lose players you know, uh, early who don't belong in the NBA. The same dudes who say that are the ones who will run off a, 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 a underdeveloped, underachieving prospect after one year if they need a scholarship open. So if you got no problem running off somebody that you misevaluated or that you recruited over his head or who has, for whatever reason, turned out to be useless to you, if you got no problem running him off, I don't think you have any right to have a problem with a borderline prospect deciding to leave your program for a professional career, even if he's not going to get the type of professional career somebody is telling him might be available to him. This is pretty simple. Um, these are adults. Adults are allowed to make their own decisions. It's not just basketball players who leave college early um, with dreams who quickly, um, in, you know, encounter disappointment, you know, kid, I, I hesitate to use the word kids. They're not kids. That's the point I'm trying to make. They're adults. If we're not going to be, if we understand that people leave school and make life decisions, people get married when they shouldn't get married because they quote, make a bad decision. People start businesses that they shouldn't start because they make a bad decision. Like I mentioned earlier, people drop out of school to tour with a band. People drop out of school to um, make a record. People drop out of school to uh, try to become an actor. We that That's the world we live in. It's the beautiful part of the world we live in. And yet with basketball players, we have to protect them from themselves. It, it's fundamentally wrong. And um, the NCAA implementing even more restrictions to try to, quote, save basketball players from themselves is, is frankly insulting. I would be insulted if I were a basketball player that the NCAA doesn't think I'm mature enough or old enough or competent enough to make a good decision. Obviously, the NCAA will have to respond to this at some point when they do. Uh, we'll react to that, but uh, we'll move on for now. The number one prospect in the country committed to USC earlier this week, which is where his father is an assistant coach. We're going to get into that next, but first, check this out. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do. Like me, taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. 
Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. So the number one prospect in the country committed to USC earlier this week. His name's Evan Mobley. His father, Eric Mobley, is on Andy Enfield's staff, so that's the connection. His brother, Isaiah Mobley, already on campus at USC. If you're unfamiliar with the Mobley family, Isaiah, five-star forward, class of 2019. And Evan, number one prospect in the country, class of 2020. Not according to all, but certainly according to most, and a consensus top two prospect either way. Um, I believe, Norlander, you and I sat together and watched Evan Mobley and Isaiah Mobley play in Vegas two summers ago. It was the same. Was it the same? Two summers ago when we had the the, the unique situation where the Adi- best team from Adidas played the best team from Nike. You're right. And the best Adidas uh, featured Evan Mobley, and they won that game. And I just remember, I think if you go back to that night – which would have been last July. Evan Mobley was not the number one prospect in that class, according to most. And I'm not a recruiting analyst, and I had seen him only briefly, but I was like, gee, I don't know that anybody's better than this kid, at least in terms of long-term potential. Um, This is obviously a huge, huge thing, not only for USC, uh, but for the Pac-12 that really needs an influx of talent to get it back um, back on par with where it ought to be. Yeah, he's a. I mean, this was a long time coming. The, the same thing that people are saying about the number two prospect, Kate Cunningham, whose brother is on staff at Oklahoma State. People are saying, you know, let's get the show on the road here. Like, what are we waiting on? The same thing was with Evan Mobley. I mean, his brother had already committed. His father is on staff. Um, it was just kind of like, when's this finally going to happen? It did. Um, and Andy Enfield, we might, you know, it might come to be that he extended if not saved his job at USC specifically because he was able to hire uh, the Mobley dad onto the staff and in doing so um, boosted his recruiting of these two specific players who are very very good make no mistake about it they will be terrific I think that I think they're both really really solid but overall it's it's uplifting their um, it's uplifting their recruiting in general I mean I think that the USC is a is a tournament type team this upcoming season. Once Evan gets on campus next season, I think they'll be that as well. They've got this. Uh, they've got this other forward, Onyeka Okungu. I'm brutally butchering that last name, but I was told he's looked as good as just about anyone on the team so far. USC is actually right now. They are. They just left yesterday to go play in Spain, I believe, for their foreign tour. So. Yeah, I mean, this is – it's a nice twist. It brings more legitimacy to the Pac-12. There's a lot of stuff kind of entangled with the USC thing, though, GP, right? Um, the school already, uh, you know, self-sanctioned, self-report on a lot of stuff related to the FBI thing. But we wait and see if and when um, the program gets hit by the NCAA. I would think that Andy Enfield will probably get something along the lines of a three-game suspension eventually at some point because I think we're on the same page with this. I don't see how the NCAA, at the end of the day, its Committee on Infractions and its enforcement group, even though they work as separate entities, could possibly say, you know what? There was a high major program who had an assistant plead guilty to federal charges and taking money in an effort to steer players 
<laughs> to Christian Dawkins' company, and we're not going to punish the head coach. So I think the Enfield and the program will still be facing some sort of punishment. The timeline on that still remains uh, moving. I've received no specific indication that USC is, is on deck, if you will, but we'll wait and see on that. And yet, despite all of that, plenty of noise. Um, here they are uh, through legal loopholes. And Parrish has been on record many times saying, yeah, man, whatever's legal, I'm doing whatever I can possibly do. I don't care if it makes half the profession hate me uh, or roll their eyes at me. I'm hiring the dad. If the dad's got two sons that are going to be NBA players, he's coming on to my staff. Um, some coaches are fine with that. Other coaches really balk at that. They, they, I've talked to some coaches over the years who have a serious issue with that, and it's just a matter of what you prioritize, how seriously you take the coaching profession and what needs to be done. But Andy Enfield has gotten it done, and uh, Evan Mobley is the kind of player who could absolutely Absolutely, be the number one pick. Uh, what, twenty-two months from now? Essentially, I like Kate Cunningham a little bit more. We can get to him in just a second, but um, at least it makes the UC USC UCLA rivalry a little more interesting going forward. You got McCronin there now, and the Mobley brothers are really, really good. And USC should be worth watching. Truly, I expect at least for the first time in a long while. I don't think this is going to be a team, or at least it shouldn't. If Enfield and staff gets its act together, this should not be a team that's scraping to get into the tournament next season, the season after, and maybe even the season after that. This is a team that should be getting single-digit seeds without too much, uh, too much trouble, but we wait and see if that will actually unfold. 20 years ago, this would have been controversial. Like, it would have been on outside the lines. I remember when John Calipari hired Milt Wagner, Dewan Wagner's father. It was, like, a big question. Like, is this okay? Are we sure this is what ought to be happening? And now it's like, Whatever. You know, given what the FBI uncovered, like if there's a legal way to get a player on campus, it, it, it you know, I, I don't think anybody really cares that much anymore. And the fact that the top two players in this class both have relatives who have been hired um, in power five leagues um, suggests that perhaps this is going to be more of a common thing. Uh, going forward than it's ever been and like you said I have no problem with it whatsoever to be clear if I were a head coach um, in California perhaps anywhere but certainly in California I would have hired Evan Mobley's father too if it meant that I was 100% going to get Isaiah Mobley and Evan Mobley Uh, obviously it was uh, for Andy Enfield and now you know he'll have an influx of talent that'll have you know him a getting contract extensions that's the other thing about you know getting big-time recruiting classes. And by hiring a father of two five-star prospects, you're going, you're guaranteed to get big-time recruiting classes is they get you contract extensions. Yeah. So if you make $2.5 million a year, you, you hire Eric Mobley, you're basically at the very least getting another $2.5 million guaranteed, even if you don't win a game. Like the, the, the school is going to commit to you if you've got this kind of talent on the way. And so financially, it's just a smart thing to do. But I also think even though there is some recent examples of it not going well, I still think it's a smart thing to do. Um, you know, the, the recent examples of it not going well, you know, Josh Pastner hired Keelan Lawson to get Diedrich and KJ Lawson. And, you know, it didn't result in the type of wins he needed to get the fan base off his back. And he ultimately left and never really benefited from them. And then, of course, Tubby Smith demotes the father, and then they transfer, and that was the end of Tubby Smith. Um, the wild one is Conzo Martin hiring Michael Porter Sr. Yeah. And never benefiting from Michael Porter Jr. or his younger brother. Dante. Because, yeah. uh, to any significant level because of injuries. 
But still, I, I think this is a smart thing to do. And I do want to wrap it back to the Kate Cunningham situation because he has cut his list to five or six schools, and his brother is on staff at Oklahoma State. And listen, Mike Boynton can handle this however he wants, and I'm, I'm sure he's a, a, a kinder man than I. But given that we know, because coaches and players tell us that when you get a commitment from an elite talent, it that, that player becomes a de facto member of your coaching staff and starts recruiting for you, and it can lead to you assembling the type of recruiting class you need to flourish in whatever league you're in. I would have already had a commitment from Kate Cunningham. Like, I, I would have said, like, listen, you, you get your brother to commit or you don't have a job. And if your brother takes a visit to another school, you're fired. Get it? Like, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not joking. Like, I, I would make it I, – I would. this is what I would say to, to um, Kate's brother. I would say, listen, it is possible I, – I believe in you, and I, I think you've got a bright future, but let's – Let's let's cut out all the bullshit. Um, you're here because your brother is the number one prospect in America. So like, let's cutting your list to five and listing other schools is ridiculous. We need him to start getting other players committed to the recruiting class, and that means we need him committed to start doing that. I mean, you wrote a story about somebody who said, "I will go to Oklahoma State if I know Kate Cunningham's going to be there." That is reason enough for Kate Cunningham to be committed to Oklahoma State right now. And if, and, and I would make it so clear cut. Like, don't take offense. I'm sure Joe Buck got a job once upon a time because of the family uh, from which he came. But he has proven himself to be worthy of any job. He's one of the very best in the world to do what he does. And maybe you'll be the Joe Buck of coaching. But the only reason you got this job is because your brother. And if your brother doesn't commit, you won't have this job anymore. I would put it as plainly as that i know for a fact norlanda that there is a school on kate cunningham's list that is not even recruiting him anymore he included him on the list and i talked to somebody on the staff and you know what they told him this is before he cut his list they said hey listen uh we love you and we would obviously love for you to be here and we have a scholarship waiting for you and if it's you know if you decide it's your dream to come play at our school um, we, you know, it'll be our dream to have you, but we are not recruiting you anymore. We're not going to waste our time because, you know, it, it's, it's insane to think you're going to be anywhere other than Oklahoma state at this point. And yet he still lists them as an option. I, I, if I, there is no scenario, I would be the head coach at a school other than Oklahoma state. And I'd bring him in on an official visit. None whatsoever. And there's also no scenario where his brother would have a job if he commits to another school like it's just I, I, it, it, I again it, this ain't the biggest deal in the world I know it sounds like I'm outraged I'm not fired I up prom- right now I, I promise I'm not outraged but Oklahoma State would benefit from him committing now and helping them recruit now and the fact that he hasn't done it if I were Mike Boynton it would be frustrating to me yeah I get that the uh you know, Evan Mobley basically just went through this. I mean, no one else recruited him. He was always going to USC. I don't know why it took until August for him to commit. And now Cade Cunningham's doing the dance there. Um, the player you mentioned that I wrote the story about, Bryce Thompson, was a top 65 player three months ago and is now regarded as a top 20 guy. Went from four-star to five-star. Probably going to go and be a McDonald's All-American. He's from Oklahoma, lives in Tulsa. His dad 
real quick. I mean, it's actually a fascinating recruitment because his dad played at Tulsa for both uh, Steve Robinson, now an assistant at UNC, which is recruiting Bryce Thompson, and for Bill Self, when Bill Self was at Tulsa, Kansas, recruiting Bryce Thompson. Um, but I talked to Bryce and and his father and said, listen, uh, you know, was told uh, by a couple people that you know, if and when Cade Cunningham commits to Oklahoma State, that could have a real positive influence on and, and potential sway on if Bryce Thompson is going to go to Oklahoma State. Because also, by the way, the backstory with all of this is that when Mike Boynton left Stephen F. Austin as an assistant to go with Brad Underwood to be at Oklahoma State, he discovered Cade Cunningham by accident. The very like they get the job the end of March three years ago. The first live period, Boynton goes to some event. He's going to look at another player. He sees Cade Cunningham. He thinks Cade Cunningham because of his look, his build, his style. He thinks he's like going to be a senior, and goes and asks, "Hey, listen, you know, I'm sure this kid has a lot of people recruiting him, but." You know, I'd love to get involved. We're interested. And then I guess it must have been the uh, Cade's grassroots coach. I can't remember. He goes, oh, no, he's a freshman in high school. And it's like, what? So he's been in on Cunningham the longest, gave him his first offer. And also Oklahoma State gave Thompson its first offer from a major conference program. Tulsa was in earlier than them. So he's been recruiting both of these really, really good players for a really long time. I don't know why it's taking Cunningham so long. I was told... You know, this isn't likely, but maybe for just to play the field a little bit, there's maybe a slight chance that Cade Cunningham decides not to play college, and maybe that's why he has not committed yet because he just wants to kick that can a little bit down, more down the road before he makes that decision or not. But in terms of the college stuff, yeah, I mean, you talk to coaches, you talk to recruiting guys that do this. Um, it's just kind of like, what are we waiting on here? I mean, if he does, I'll tell you what, Parrish. If Cade Cunningham winds up not playing at Oklahoma State, which in big picture, we've got an, a fascinating 2020 situation. you got the top two prospects with family members at non-traditional college basketball powers. Oklahoma State has a nice history, but it's not a blue blood program. It's not even a top 20 program. And you could have, you will have Mobley at USC and you should and could have uh, Cunningham at Oklahoma State. I find that to be a fascinating divergence from what we've seen in recent years. But if you, for whatever reason, had Cade Cunningham ultimately deciding to play somewhere else in college other than Okie State, um... I feel like that would be unprecedented. I can't say this with 100% certain fact, but I don't think that college basketball at the power conference level has ever had a blood relative of a top 25 recruit be hired to a program and then that recruit not go play at that program. I think that that's never happened before. If it is, you can inform me or the listeners will, but it, I'm, no one's expecting that to happen, and now we're just all looking at our watches waiting for Cade Cunningham, and if and when that happens, potentially Bryce Thompson, and if Oklahoma State does get both of those guys, their expectations will be as high as they've been in a very long time at the start of the 2020-2021 season. The only thing I can think of and uh, that might qualify is George Brooks at Mississippi State. Now, I don't think he was hired just to get his son, but his son turned into an elite prospect and you know, is now at North Carolina. Like, went to North Carolina. You're right. We were just talking about this a couple of weeks ago. You're right, yeah. Which, yeah. by the way, I would have fired George Brooks if I were Ben Howland. <laughs> like, you're an assistant coach. Part of your job is to recruit. If you cannot recruit your son, you're not good at it. It's wild. I, I mean, I would have fired him on the spot. <laughs> like, I, I, I guess credit to Ben. He's better than I am. I, but, like, if you cannot – I want your son. You can't deliver your son. You, you can't work for me. That, may, that suggests if you can't recruit your own son, what 
how are you going to recruit another top 25 player in America? Like, it, yeah. we're done here. And I'd say the same thing to – I keep saying Kate Cunningham's brother. What is his name again? Cannon. Corey? Cannon. Um, yeah, Cannon Cunningham. I'd say the same thing. Like, yo, I have another – I have another top 50 player in the country who is on record publicly stating that he'll probably come with us if Kate Cunningham is committed to us. We need your brother committed right now. It will help us get this other player. And suddenly we've got a top 10 recruiting class in America. Like, what what are we doing here? And and if, you know, you, you point out, might not play college basketball or might go somewhere else, fired within seconds. Fired within seconds. Like, I would be – I feel like I'm like – I sound like I'm an Oklahoma State alum right now. Like I'm all pissed just off at the cutting Guns end. up. Yeah. <laughs> My guns are up. But I just it, – it's crazy to me. Like, let, let – we can – we it is an actual advantage to have somebody like Cade Cunningham committed as early as possible. Yeah. You, you're – the brothers on staff – obviously to deliver Kay Cunningham and he cuts his list to five in the early August what <laughs> cut your list to one and go and go get um go go get uh, another top 50 player to come with you like I'd be I'm texting Mike Boynt right now okay <laughs> I need to I need to guide him on this like yo man this whole cut your list to five stuff this is unacceptable behavior <laughs> is he as mad about it as I am I don't think he is actually. There's a there's a quiet confidence there. I think uh, <laughs> I I don't think anyone's as mad about this as you are. But that's that's okay. It's August, and uh, and this is one of the prominent storylines in college basketball as it unfolds. But you're not wrong. And if anything, this conversation has reminded me of just how badly I wish, even if I could peer into an alternate universe, I'd love to see Gary Parish. Division One men's college basketball coach. First of all, you'd be fired within a year, I think. For one reason or another, I think that's happening. But just to would, see how you would, would operate a program would be hysterical. I, I would commit major rules violations. <laughs> yeah. I would, I would get a, uh, um, a, a lack of what's the charge everybody's going to get now? Uh, failure to monitor? Yeah, I would not be monitoring. <laughs> I, would, I, would, I would not monitor well. And uh, and I would yeah I would commit major rules violations. Why not? Plus, you love to tell a good story. Then it gets you know then it spreads way too fast. You're in trouble. Yeah, that's. I'd, I'd be making strong ass offers all <laughs> over the place. Oh man, I can see I can see you just strutting the sideline right now. That's good stuff. Um, but yeah, I I they got to get this done. Like what what are we even doing here? A question for our listeners by the way as as we get ready just to conclude on one more topic. I do want to know and Paris, you might have some insight into this, but I feel like we've got a, a wide listenership that plenty of them that follow college football. It's just something I've never bothered to look into and I don't follow college football recruiting enough and it doesn't feel like this pops up frequently enough in the news cycle where a lot of instances are coming to my mind, but college football has way more prospects way more coaching positions. So in college basketball, you see this, I don't know, two times a year maybe, maybe not even that often. It happens, but it's not like crazy wide. But it's here and there. I want it, With how college football operates, I'd love to know how frequently you know, an awesome tight end's uncle or a really good cornerback's father or whomever gets hired to, 
to a coaching staff or in some sort of role and what NCAA rules may or may not be in place there because I wonder if the NCAA tries and cr- tries to curb that on the college football end because of the nature of the sport with so many more su- so much more support staff and many more position coaches if this is more rampant less I don't know it's just a, something that popped up as we were discussing this and I didn't I, know if it's something that that sport actually deals with more seriously and frequently than college hoops I think it's less frequent, um, and the, the the explanation I would assume is that, you know, you get, you know, two Mobley brothers on cam- you know on campus that can like, that can that could be the thing that makes you a top ten team. Just having two guys like that, um, it can be the thing that takes you to the NCAA tournament. Um, in football, no one player is going to move the needle that much. Only a quarterback. And- I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, probably a quarterback. But even then, you know, like we see Josh Rosen at UCLA, and UCLA's not very good. You know, you we see, oh, God, who's the guy? Daniel Jones, first-round draft pick, quarterback of the Giants. He's at Duke. Like, what are they? I just think, yes, a quarterback, you know, Johnny Manziel uh, was, was that kind of difference maker at Texas A&M. But I, I think football players just don't make as individually as big of an impact. So it's, it's – um, less advantageous to to go hire a relative just to get one player although I do believe Ole Miss under Hugh Freeze hired somebody connected to like a five-star quarterback uh, a few years ago and I I think they ended up getting a a commitment from him it might have been Shea Patterson actually but like so it does happen I just think it happens it happens less often because it's it's less impactful gotcha Okay, GP, can we talk real quick about the story that you wrote earlier this week? Because I think this is an awesome story. Um, You just don't see something like this happen all that frequently, and now you have – uh, a Big Ten school that is trying to kind of, you know, return to prominence, um, taking something of a chance on an unlikely prospect. And when I say unlikely, practically unknown because no one – most people don't even know who this kid is, but within, even within college basketball circles uh, was a complete unknown entity until recently. Yeah, I got a – a neat story. I got a call last week from, um, you know, just a, a friend of mine who, you know, works – in this basketball world. And he said, Hey, I might have something for you. And I said, uh, I said, well, can I call, can I call you tomorrow morning? We'll talk through it. He said, I said, is it urgent? Like breaking news? He said, no, no, no. But, um, it might be interesting. It's August. And I said, okay, I'm gonna call you in the morning. So I call him the next morning and he says, listen, there's this kid. His name's Austin Hutcherson. His father is like the head of the NBA human resources department. And I think that's the reason this person knew of this kid. Like he knew the father. And he said, so, Here's the deal. He's a Division three player, and he's a good Division three player. He's at Wesleyan in, uh, you know, in in Connecticut, and he's like, you know, first team All Conference, led the league in scoring, all that stuff. And so he lives in New York City, and he's working out at a gym. Um, I think it's the NBA Players Association gym with a New York based trainer named Tim Burns. And he said, so the plan was just to work out all summer with Tim. And then go back to Westland and, and, you know, blow it out there and then see if he can, you know, spend his last year of college, you know, at a Division One school. But they were even thinking, like, low major. Like, can he jump from Division – after – if he really works hard the next year, will he be capable of jumping from Division Three to Division One at any level? So he's working out in this gym this summer, like in June. And – um. He's, you know, there's some serious basketball players there. A lot of overseas guys, but 
Ron Baker is working out. Noah Vonley is working out. And they just get into pickup games, you know, and, and, and you know, and, you know, they're, they're working out, but they, they play pickup as well. And so this, you know, 6'6 guard who's really knocking down shots, like, you know, nobody knows who he is. He's just Austin. They're like, yo, where, where do you play? He's like at Wesley. They're like, what is that? It's like, it's, it's a Division three school? They're like, yo, bro. You're at the wrong level. You don't need to be at a Division three school. And he tells them the same story I just told you. Well, you know, I'm thinking about it. I'm going to go back and do one more year at Wesleyan, and then, you know, I'm going to see if I can, you know, transfer to Division one for my senior year. Like, yo, we're former high major players. You can play at the high major level. You need to go now. So he's like, how do you even go about doing that? So I think Tim helped, and I know some other people helped. They were like, well, first, let's get your highlights from your sophomore season at Westland. Like, get them up on YouTube, and then we can send links to, you know, some coaches that we have relationships with. So they do that, and it's impressive enough to to pique the interest of not just low major coaches, but power conference coaches. But it is also a highlight tape. So it's like, I mean, highlight tapes can be misleading. I think we, we understand that. So they said, hey, I want to see watching some full games. So they get like five games on USB drives, full games. We don't want to just see his made shots. We want to see everything, watch him play. And they watch these games on USB drives that were sent to them. And next thing you know, he's got an offer from Creighton. He's got an offer from Notre Dame. He's got an offer from Illinois. I was told Marquette was also involved, but ultimately they just decided – and keep in mind, this all happens in a sp- – like it was end of June. He's thinking he's going back to Westland. Yeah. Next thing you know, it's July, and Mike Bray's calling him. Brad Underwood's calling him. Um, uh, you know, Greg McDermott is calling. And he ends up – like I said, I, I, I was told Marquette was also involved, but ultimately they just said it's going to be Notre Dame, Creighton, or Illinois. So he visited Notre Dame. He visited uh, uh, Creighton, and then this past weekend – visited Illinois and committed to Illinois. And so he's going to enroll there soon. He's got to sit out a year because of these stupid transfer rules. But he's he's fine. He's like, I'll just work out, and then I'll have two years of eligibility. Hmm. But it is pretty wild that a person, he didn't even really have realistic aspirations of doing this. He was just playing in a gym in New York, and former, you know, and, and current professional players said, dude, you're good enough to play at the high major level. You need to jump now. And he's like, okay, I'll give it a try. And next thing you know, he's trying to decide between Notre Dame, Illinois, and, and Creighton. Like, it's a, it is a pretty neat story. That's a testament to, as I wrote, um, talent and hard work, but also just sort of right place, right time. If he's not in that gym with those players, he isn't told from, told by reputable sources, you are good enough to do this. And then he never thinks that he's good enough to do this. So it, it, was, um, it was a neat little story that I stumbled into. That's cool. Um, love that stuff. We'll have to keep an eye out for Austin Hutcherson a year from now. Didn't even realize I had that guy in my own state, but that's awesome. He <laughs> actually played in the same conference, NESCAC, uh, New England Small College Athletic Conference, uh, as the only other recent player that has, a, that has a similar path. Do you know who that is? Yes, played at Michigan. Yes, Duncan Robinson, so also wound up going to a Big Ten school. Duncan Robinson was an awesome player for Williams, um, wound up you know, making the bump all the way up to Michigan, being a good player. Not only that, but going to the NBA. I mean, he, right. he played with uh, the Miami Heat uh, in 2018, 2019. Um, 
So I don't know if that's in store for for Austin as well, but just uh, just a cool little thing, man. And you just never know. I mean, I always love the stories of the guys who. And I'm not saying this guy's going to wind up being, you know, some sort of top 20 player in the Big Ten when he gets there. But maybe he will. Who knows? But, uh, but you know, it's impossible for as for as strong and well built as the. Uh, youth basketball operation across this country is at all levels and it's got its issues but it's got so many fortes to it um you still are going to have players that slip through the cracks for one reason or another they just don't get the right kind of exposure and then when one of those players is allowed or enabled and discovered to uh to make a bump back up that's a really cool thing so that's a cool story paris laid out a lot of what was there involved in it uh but you obviously should go bring up the cbs sports app on your phone or go to cbssports.com give that a read we've got a lot of stuff that we come off of july that uh that we've got loaded up there as well so um so yeah man that's uh that's pretty much what we got. You got anything else left in the tank? Or? Well, I would add one thing, okay. and then we'll get out of here. Um, you, you, you mentioned, like, the the evaluation of, of you know, prospects is so um, thorough um, these days that, you know, how does somebody like this, as you put it, fall through the cracks? I, I asked that question. I didn't put it in the column. Then somebody asked, how did everybody miss on him? Um, the answer seems to be that he was injured in high school. Um, it, 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 for multiple years, I, I want to say once was because of a car wreck, and another was because he he got fouled and fell awkwardly. But he was injured, and then he only played one full summer of grassroots basketball. And at that point, like some Ivies were interested, low majors were interested, um, but he had no high major attention at all. And then he just decided to sign with Westland and be done with it. And so he didn't give himself an opportunity to be a, you know, a late signee, you know, after his senior year of high school, he just said, you know what, forget it. I'm just going to go to Westland. I'll go there and play. And so all of that contributed to him um, maybe enrolling at a place that was beneath his actual talent level, but also, and I think he would admit this, um, he's gotten better since he got there uh, in the ways that sometimes prospects do. So combine, you know, injuries early in high school, with um, you know not spending as much time as other prospects do on the grassroots circuit, uh, plus training since he got to college and and elevating his game, all of that contributed to him um, maybe being misevaluated or at least underevaluated, and then um, uh, getting to, to a D three school and improving enough to to reasonably transfer up to not just the Division one level but the highest level of the sport. And you know, as he put it, it's a dream come true. Like. The idea that I'm going to be playing in one of the best leagues in the country um, on national television against some of the best coaches in the country is like, you know, it it, it wasn't lost on him how unique this is. And so uh, it's a neat story. And uh, I look forward to seeing him, um, you know, in an Illinois uniform in the 2020-21 season. Let's get out of here. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry, MF, and Teagle, the legend. And shouts to Larnell. And please... If you haven't already, go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. You can do that via Apple Podcasts. Then you rate it favorably, like you would a nice Airbnb. Five stars, nice comments. That's all I've ever asked. Sue, please go do that. We're going to talk to you again next week. Until then, take care.